0: Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 this Zone. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hopefully uh, this is a great short work week for you. How about that? And then it just leads right into more college football, leads into pro football, and um, maybe you're a Tennessee Vol fan and you want to talk a little bit more about that one. So let's do that right now with Ben McKee, who joins us uh, from VolQuest and from Swain Event at Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ben, how in the world are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. I appreciate y'all having me back on. Hope uh, y'all are doing well as well,
0: yes, sir. It's been too, it's been absolutely too long. So let me start with this. We got a little bit of time in the rearview mirror between this game as before we start to look ahead at the next one. Now that you've had a little bit of time to maybe look at the game a second time or to to write about it, to talk about it on the air over there in Knoxville, is there anything that stands out to you, maybe that didn't immediately good or bad?
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, Tennessee can improve in the passing game. Uh, I think. I'm a little more optimistic about Tennessee's passing game moving forward than maybe I was after the game on Thursday night. I was very underwhelmed with, with Tennessee's passing offense against Bowling Green and in large part because of you know <laughs> what we thought of Bowling Green coming into the game, just a, a lack of experience, a, a lack of talent. Uh, they were dreadful the previous season and uh, for many seasons uh, leading up to last year, um, but I, I don't know that that Bowling Green is that Bowling Green team is as bad as we thought that they were. Not not saying that they're going to go out and and win the MAC and not trying to make an excuse for Tennessee, but uh, I'll be curious to see where they are in, in their conference here in about two months. But uh, just based off of what we thought of Bowling Green coming into the game, I, I thought Tennessee left a, a lot to be desired on offense. Uh, they ran the ball well. They, they looked great running the ball. Offensive line looked looked good. Uh, Tyon Evans, Jabari Small, they looked great. Uh, Joe Milton looked good running around there a, a couple of different times. But uh, the passing game left a lot to be desired in my opinion. Uh, whether it was Joe Milton, whether it was the receivers, um, it, it just wasn't a great performance in in my opinion. Joe Milton uh, missing wide open receivers down the field it wasn't even the overthrows that concerned me the most because I think that he'll reel those in Uh, Cedric Tillman spoke with the media today and said that those were completions for the most part during fall camp and uh, that first game for Joe in Nealon Stadium a a little more adrenaline Uh, Cedric Tillman expects that to be cleaned up and and not a problem moving forward Uh, and and then the receivers also at times could not get open uh, and and struggled uh, just to be physical on on the perimeter, quite frankly. Uh, So I was very underwhelmed walking away, but going back and just kind of listening to the players, listening to the coaches, and and watching it back a second time, I think most of the mistakes are correctable, uh, particularly with the deep balls. Uh, I I think Joe Milton will continue to settle into this offense that he's only played one game in. Uh, So... I I walk away thinking from the rewatch that Tennessee's passing game can get better. Although I I didn't necessarily feel great about it after Thursday night's performance.
0: Really one of the biggest stories to me this whole season, and it was always going to be a big story, but it seems to be even more obvious now is how Josh Heupel coaches up Joe Milton. He's the guy they brought here. He was going to start. How much better can they, like you said, you, you, you said, Hey, I watched it all. I felt better. I listened to what people said. It's correctable. But, Joe Milton is going to be such a key for this team. How Josh Heupel and that staff, all of them, Alex Golish, everybody can coach him up, will be such a huge – I mean, it's just huge for the season.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the, the progression of Joe Milton will dictate whether Tennessee has a successful first season under Josh Heupel or not. There, there's no debating Joe Milton's skill set. He has all the talent in the world but just because you're a talented quarterback doesn't mean that you're going to be a productive uh, quarterback right now he's a, a great athlete back there in the pocket for tennessee uh, but he's not a, a great passer and i think that's what josh heifel is trying to get joe milton to. and they have a great track record you all i'm sure talked about it all off season long we talked about it all off season long here in knoxville but between josh heifel joey halsley the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator alex golish Joe Milton is a prospect and a talented prospect that should um, this staff should get the most out of because uh, they have proven so in the past and if they do I mean that's the difference in my opinion between six and seven wins or four and five wins Uh, and uh, you know there it makes the the conversation are Joe Milton's flaws correctable at this point because on, on one side of the coin You can be super positive and say, hey, that was the first game in a a new system for Joe Milton. He'll continue to get better. But on the other side of the coin, (laughs) he is a fourth-year player, so is he what he is at this point? And you saw some mistakes against Bowling Green that you saw on his film at Michigan. So you kind of wonder if he just is what he is at this point. But uh, it's going to take a heck of a coaching job for Josh Heupel to really get uh, all the best out of Joe Milton because he, sh- he sure is capable and, and he can truly swing Tennessee season one way or another.
0: On with Ben McKee at Ben McKee 14, uh, Swain event, and uh, Volquest. You can find him lots of places.
2: That's Joe Milton. But I wanted to ask you, <laughs> the thing was concerning, I had never seen a quarterback with that kind of statuesque stance back there before he launched it. Uh, like that. Had you ever seen that? Because I I think that can, you know, cause some issues at times throughout a game. Uh, So I'm just wondering, is that what Hypo was teaching, or he's just not even messing with his mechanics as far as his arm? But I'm talking about more his feet.
1: Yeah, that that was super noticeable. (laughs) I'd Uh, never seen that before. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I was as puzzled by it as you sound right now. (laughs) <laughs> and I got a laugh out of him pointing downfield like he's Babe Ruth calling a shot and, and, and directing yeah. uh, receivers around to different places. And, and you like to, to see him keep his eyes downfield and, and try to orchestrate the receivers and try to get them to, to certain places to to throw them open or, or get them open. Uh, so it, you don't really see quarterbacks calling their, their, their Babe Ruth shot. But uh, against Bowling Green, you can get away with it, right? right. And he did at, at times can he get away with it against pittsburgh probably not definitely can't get away uh with it against a team like florida coming up or or georgia and so on and so forth Uh, but the feet and just kind of like he's standing in cement was was concerning to me just because like you said you don't see that very often and you you hear coaches harp about footwork all the time and, and the importance of that and it's very important at the quarterback position i i think it was a product of having all day to throw the football. Mm. Uh, I, I definitely don't think it's something that Josh Heupel is is teaching uh, because you go back and you watch Dylan Gabriel or Drew Locke and McKenzie Milton, and, and you didn't really see it with those yeah. guys. So uh, I, I don't believe it's something that Josh Heupel and his coaching staff are teaching Joe. I, I just think it's a habit that he's going to have to break. Obviously, he's very agile and, and can move around and uh, make plays with his legs, but against – stiffer competition coming up. He, he just can't get too comfortable uh, back there because he's not going to have that much time against more physical defensive lines.
2: Man, I, I guess looking back, Ben, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, with Ben McKee with BallQuest, and, and that is defensively, was it the opponent or were they, you know, better than advertised? I know I didn't see anything on the stat sheet, but it doesn't always tell the story with Jawan Mitchell, the transfer from Texas. But how did the linebackers look? And just the defense in total, what were your takeaways from them?
1: Yeah, I thought the defense looked better than I anticipated. Uh, Granted, you mentioned the the skill level across the way, not great. Tennessee did what it was supposed to do, and I'll go back to what I talked about earlier about Bowling Green maybe being a little bit better than we anticipated because their quarterback had completed 44% of his passes last season, and he did not look at all like a guy who was coming off a year of a year in which he completed just 44% of his passes uh, apparently he was banged up last year, and maybe finally healthy, and he's he's much better than he showed last year. But the the main thing that I thought was a positive for Tennessee was was that they limited the big plays. They they had some bus uh, with the wheel route coming out of the backfield and on on some crossing patterns across the middle of the field, but they kept everything in front of them, and they didn't give up any explosive plays. And I think that's a huge step in the right direction from last year's unit. Uh, because that, that was a team, a, a defense that all it did was give up explosive play. So, uh, we'll see how it does against Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett is, is definitely gonna test just how far this defense has come. But overall, I, I was impressed by Tennessee's defensive performance. I thought it was important to see that, uh, Tennessee won the line of scrimmage. And you saw Matthew Butler, Elijah Simmons, Amari uh, mm. Thomas, Jaquan Blakely. You saw those guys do that. And against teams like Bowling Green, you you should dominate. You have to dominate, or or else it's a big red flag. So, uh, to me, that was the most important aspect of of the defensive performance was that the the defensive line did not get pushed around.
2: Typically, the second week, you know, you get those jitters out the way. The first game, you know, most teams have big growth uh, with their players, uh, but you got a heck of an opponent in, in Pittsburgh, who's a defensive minded head coach. Uh, what do you expect going up against uh, Pittsburgh at home? You expected them uh, to, uh, I guess, win this game.
1: I, I think it's a total coin flip. Uh, you could tell me any result, and and I would believe you, uh, quite frankly. Uh, other than either team blowing the other out, that that would be the only one that would surprise me a bit. Is if either team blew out the other, but I, I can see Pittsburgh winning this game. I, I can see Tennessee winning this game. Uh, I, I think it ultimately comes down to how big of a step does Joe Milton take from game one to game two, just like you spoke about. He he wasn't bad against Bowling Green, but I think that performance against Pittsburgh gets you beat. You, you can't yeah. miss uh, as many wide-open receivers uh, down the field as, as he did. And, again, that was a bigger concern for me personally that he was missing multiple receivers open down the field that you can't necessarily see on, on the broadcast. That was more concerning than the deep balls that he missed to Cedric Tillman because I I do think that uh, he will begin to connect on those. He's not going to be perfect, but uh, I I don't expect him to miss that many in in one performance. So I I think Joe Milton, he he swings the season and he swings this game, and these games are going to swing uh, Tennessee's season. So if he takes a step forward, I, I think Tennessee wins this game. If he doesn't, if he plays like he did last week, then I think Pitt comes out on top because the, there's quite a difference in experience with these two teams. Uh, Bowling Green had 71 players on its on its roster that graduated high school within the last two years. And you look at the Pittsburgh depth chart, uh, and it's the total opposite. Veterans all over the place. And, and Kenny Pickett yeah. is a very talented quarterback. You know Pat Narduzzi's team is going to be well coached. So Tennessee's going to have to come to play. And I think we're also going to find out a lot about Tennessee's defense. But I think ultimately it comes down to Joe Milton.
2: Where are we on the injury you real quick, uh, Mickey, uh, with uh, Cooper Mays? And I know the, the uh, Byron uh, Young kid, he didn't play, right? What's his situation?
1: Yeah, Byron Young's dealing with some NCAA eligibility oh. issues, and uh, he wasn't able to play last week because back in 2017, he played at an up-and-coming prep school uh, in the Mobile area, and it went under. Two games in due to financial reasons and byron young played in those two games But obviously the rest of the season was canceled. So uh, because he played in those two games He has to sit out the first two games of this season because he had not played at the D1 Level or I don't know the technical way it works with the NCAA because who knows how the NCAA works? It seems like they make it up as they go, but uh, he's just dealing with some eligibility issues. Tennessee is trying to appeal uh, and, and hope that they can get him back on the field for for this Saturday's game against Pittsburgh because he is Tennessee's best pass rusher alongside Tyler Barron and, and Roman Harrison, and, and Tennessee could really use him against a talented quarterback this weekend. So as of right now, he's not eligible, uh, but Tennessee is working to get that appealed and, and get him ready to play. But there's no update in terms of, of when Tennessee could possibly hear back on, on that situation. In regards to Cooper Mays, he, he's a big question mark. Uh, obviously sprained that ankle pretty good against Bowling Green and came back in the game for three plays, but immediately tapped out and could tell that he couldn't give it a go. Uh, and, and so it's just a matter of how good he feels as, as the week progresses. I don't think Tennessee really knows one way or the other whether he's going to play. Uh, he's just a big question mark at, at this point. But Tennessee could sure use him back because he is the linchpin of that offensive line.
2: All right, we're on with uh, Ben McKee of and and Swain Event.
0: Hey, I, I saw Jamarian Gooch uh, basically in the transfer portal. I, I noticed this about a week or so ago, that he was ruled medically ineligible at Mizzou. And at one time, what, he was committed to Auburn, then he was committed to Tennessee, and then he wound up going to Missouri. Now he can't play there. What, and he's local guy, I guess, Gallatin. What, what's going on with him, the big fella?
1: Yeah, he's got some medical issues uh, that he's dealing with. Uh, He started at Gallatin, like you said, Uh, actually came over here to East Tennessee and was at the Kings Academy for about a year, year and a half, and uh, midway through his senior season transferred back to Gallatin, and and that was in the midst of him being committed to Tennessee and uh, signed with Tennessee, and the new staff came in, and um, it was a mutual parting of ways from from a football standpoint, Uh, and I do believe that Tennessee was somewhat aware of a medical situation, and Uh, That just carried on there at Missouri. Um, I I don't recall the specific medical issue that he is dealing with, but uh, he he is medically, I mean, he he just can't play football in the eyes of Missouri. So I found that interesting. I saw that before I hopped on here with with y'all, that he had entered the transfer portal. Uh, Missouri deems him medically unfit to play. Can he find a, a home elsewhere? obviously you hope so for the kid playing college football is a one in a million chance opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, So you hope he can get healthy and sort that issue out and and play elsewhere. But uh, I imagine if Missouri had an issue with, with clearing him to play, he'd have an issue finding somewhere else to play as well.
0: Ben McKee, our guest uh, on the way out. I saw when the death chart came out before the game last week, I saw people like mentioning some names like Morvin Joseph Aubrey Solomon. Those are names we used to talk about. I remember those guys getting there and having some fanfare. It's just a couple of names that kind of stood out to me of like where are those guys?
1: Yeah, we get that question quite often here <laughs> in Knoxville Morvin joseph i I think he's just trying to develop at this point uh it's his second season, so he's quite younger than. Aubrey Solomon, yeah. and, and Morvin Joseph had, had a nice little fall camp. I mean, nothing uh, that, that makes you really, you know, question why he isn't playing. Uh, he's just still in that developmental phase, uh, in, in my opinion. And then with Aubrey Solomon, he just kind of is what he is at this point. Uh, obviously, he isn't the player uh, that he was ranked to be coming out of high school. And uh, now he has done a good job of shedding some weight. Uh, over the off season, dropped about 20 pounds, and, and he looks better. Uh, but I, I just think he's been surpassed on the depth chart and, and isn't the guy that we thought he was coming out of high school and transferring from Michigan.
0: Ben, good stuff, man. Always great to catch up with you. People can follow you at Ben McKee 14 and they can listen to and watch the Swain event, and then they can uh, see and read your work at BallQuest as well. Thank you, man.
2: Appreciate it, Ben.
0: Always, absolutely. Always appreciate y'all having me on. Yes, Thank you, sir. Always good to catch up with Ben McKee. Uh, when we come back, Cuzzo Mike is in the uh, Zone TV chat. He sent us his ding-dong of the week. And this is going to be a bunch of people's ding-dong. Maybe we should go ahead and, and get our ding-dongs ready for the next segment. Oh, I didn't know a lot of people could have the same ding-dong. I, I think a lot of people share this ding-dong.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's... Oh, that, that Lucas has uh, wrinkled clothes on today? No,
0: that the Lucas <laughs> is the ding-dong for several <laughs> reasons today, but yeah. <laughs> Blaine, like, hey, man, did you just pick those up out of the, out of the floor? <laughs> yeah, she's the second person that's asked me that today. Day in the life. Buck Busting his hump for not using yeah. the button bar. We can explain all that. Okay. Uh, we'll get into that next. You want to share a ding-dong with us, you can. Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline is open, 615-737-1045.
2: I got an S for this. He- I shared in my car.